Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Ms. Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, founder, co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio and Network, and we will be back after this. Join us in our circle. It is spinning, 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 spinning. This happens. Sometimes the technology here on Blog Talk Radio does not always cooperate. So I'm going to turn that one all the way down and see if this song uploads instead. Still spinning. One, two, three, four. This cell button is supposed to work, folks. It's supposed to take 15 seconds before the song comes on, according to Blog Talk Radio. I'm actually going to sit here and count it, just in case one of their executives is listening. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Forbidden Archaeology. Seconds late, and so I was surprised that the song was just beginning. Yes, 
<laughs> what happened was I mean, it finally I give, kicked in. I give myself those 15, 20 seconds in a slack because I know there's going to be a song playing. It's okay. You have a few words to say. The world no, is not going to... No, your timing is always great and fine. Call, I have yeah, absolutely no issue with that. Well, I was surprised that the song was just starting. And while we're talking scheduling, yes, I would like to have the next three weeks off. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Well, well everyone do. <laughs> I'm so glad that you were talking about the archives. Because I was thinking that very thing. Well, pl- play an archive thing. We've done a lot of good shows together. Yes. So... Next Tuesday is going to be the last Tuesday that I get to be with my granddaughter before they're off to Costa Rica for five months. So I'm next Tuesday is like a really important Tuesday for me to take off and to spend with family. As you know, family is definitely one of my priorities. And everybody who um, does work for me, I tell them the same thing. I say, your family is more important than your job. Yes. And so my week in Connecticut. You need to take care of your family. The job can hang. While you do that, whatever you need. Because our families need to come before anything else. So my family is coming first next Tuesday. And then the following two Tuesdays, I'm not having my own blog talk show, which precedes this. So if you twist my arm and whine and cry, I will do those two shows. No, no, I I don't want to even do that. I can play reruns. I didn't think you would. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like that. Trust me. No, I do. I it, absolutely trust you. That's why I said that, because I know you're not like that. <laughs> I absolutely. I wanted to mention a future thing. I almost didn't want to say it on the air, but we'll, we'll discuss it off the air, maybe with your secretary. But it's very, very, very carefully selected and only occasionally part-time. There will be in the future someone who's carefully selected, not like some of the people I had chosen in the past to fill in for me, <laughs> Where if I take a week off, now you can just say you'll take the week off, but this guy I think you'll like very much. He's a fan, and he's also he's a former selected. I hear you. You know, uh, no, he um, he may fill in as an interim sometimes, but this isn't until down the road. I'm just letting you know ahead of time, so it's in your head ahead of time. But you'll like him. He's a guitar player in my my head ahead of time. Okay, yeah, hey, ahead of time in your head. He's the guitar player in my my band. (laughs) And uh, he's also a former Cherokee chief who's a huge fan of yours. And he's also my guitar player, Laramie. And I really think you'll like him. I think so, too. And so uh, it would be a very peaceful relationship occasionally, but that's only in the future because sometimes the band will He's an interim guitar player. Who only? I'm oh, not trying I, to get too much. Say, well, if the band's traveling, I thought you said he's in the band, so he's going to be with yeah, you. No, well, he's sort of a. We have a couple rotating members, so it's actually when I'm doing local shows, he's not here. When I do traveling rotating shows, as- he tends to be there more because I go more to their that area, or vice versa. Sometimes he comes here. Uh, in that case, we'd let you know, but um, he may sit in as a 
again, it's not a big issue. It only happened like every now and again. And he'd be like the steady, like the Fine. one that okay. does it, versus like a cast and crew of people I, I've attempted it in the past. Uh, and you'd like him, like I said, with the, with his great Cherokee stories. He speaks the native language. Uh, he's got a lot of interesting stuff. He knows the plants a little bit. He's also a big fan of you and usually listens to this show on Tuesday night. He might be listening now. Hello, Laramie. Uh, so, Hi, Laramie. Uh, and a, and a former chief, not a lot of people have that on their resume. <laughs> That's Absolutely. a pretty cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I well I look I look forward to the rare occasion when I get to be with Laramie. Exactly. 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 And that means your band is successful and out on the road, hooray. Something like that, yes. Yeah, or at least playing out a lot locally. <laughs> and a little of both. <laughs> yeah, well that hey. You can't get gigs if people don't want you. So the fact that you're getting gigs, that's good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 So, you know, I do a lot of reading. I subscribe to a huge number of different periodicals, and I read through them. And it was, it's been raining here the past few weeks, and so I've gotten a lot of reading done. And it, it often turns out that the articles that I find not just interesting and not just fascinating, but yes, are actually in More Magazine. And More Magazine is kind of, eh, kind of fashion magazine, but it's a lot more than a fashion magazine, a lot, lot more. And it's for women over 40. Hmm. So, in the September 2015 issue, there is an article on post-traumatic growth. I bet that isn't what you thought I was going to say. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress syndrome. In World War One, it was called shell shock, right? Oh, yeah. Right, and in World War Two, we didn't talk about it too much, but it really came up in Vietnam. Post-traumatic stress disorder, they started calling Post-traumatic it. Post-traumatic stress disorder. And for me, it was that um, post-traumatic stress disorder associated with Vietnam that really ushered in the nasty gun violence that we are hopefully being going to be able to look back on and say that peaked in the year 2015. That was the worst year, and after that, it went down. But that post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, we have seen really changes your brain. Makes very big changes in the kinds of chemicals your brain makes, the kinds of hormones your brain makes, how your brains function, what areas of your brain light up under certain stimuli. And yet, at the same time, and I, I personally have um, had two experiences in my life um, that definitely have qualified me um, for post traumatic shock. One, was having my apartment broken into by armed people who were yelling and screaming at uh, 5 a.m. in the morning, 
who chased me into the bathroom and then broke down the door with a full-length glass mirror on it. Truly one of the scariest moments of my life. And then a similarly scary incident in which I was awakened by someone uh, putting a gun up against my temple. Yeah, the the one with the gun and then the following violence that occurred made it impossible um, for me to stay in a house. So I was on the road for two years living in a um, extended Land Rover with a kitchen and five beds. Hmm. Traveling with my family, including my sister who gave birth while we were out traveling around. At least you're with people you loved. I mean, that, I guess that's good. Right? Absolutely. I was traveling. I was, did not stay in the same, didn't sleep in the same place twice for two years. And, and that, that got me over it because then I, then I figured I couldn't be found, you know. And the idea of the, the, the two you mentioned, if you don't mind me intervening, because I've been through this too, but not in the exactly same way, and then I'll let you get right back to it. Um, I've been in incidences where a store was being robbed, but that's not so intimate. Both of your, yours were like in your bedroom or you're asleep or it's 5 a.m. in the morning, which you feel like you're in your safe place, right? And when you can't sleep, I mean, that's horrible. That's Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I was also always aware that these kinds of traumatic events bring growth if we choose it. And so that's what this article is about. It's about traumatic events being a catalyst for the kind of change that we want. And psychologist Richard Tedeschi is studying people with his um, colleague, Lawrence Calhoun, and they have named the phenomenon post-traumatic growth, or PTG. And those who experience PTG find that disaster is a gift. It's still a disaster. And there's a gift. The article goes on to talk about tools that we can use to see the gift in the disaster or to extract the gift from the disaster or to somehow look deeply enough into the disaster to see the silver lining, as my mom would have said. And I find the things that they focused on quite fascinating. Writing, adventure, animals, and exercise. Now, writing is a form of something that we have talked about, which is story medicine. And I'm sure that um, your friend um, of the Cherokee lineage would have a lot to teach us about story medicine. 
We know that story medicine has to do with the stories we tell ourselves about what happens. Here's a story that I especially love. A young man of my acquaintance, about eight years old, was at a wedding. And he and his brother and a bunch of other little boys were running around and around, barefoot, outside. And he thought he stepped on a nettle or a rose or a raspberry, you know, ouch, something. But he's eight years old and he's running around and screaming his head off. And okay, so he injured himself a little bit. He is not even slowing down until, hmm, not too long afterwards, his foot begins to swell. Then his ankle begins to swell and his leg begins to swell. And the adults realize he's been bitten by a poisonous snake. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, right? And um, it actually, it was fairly interesting because there were some really militant people at this soiree who were going to take the boy to the emergency room and give him antivenom, and his mother was completely and totally against it. And she wound up having to sneak out through a back trail carrying him to get away from these militant people who were going to haul him off to the hospital. And she says later, the thing that she did that was like really wrong was she elevated his foot. So his whole leg swelled up right up to his hip because, of course, you want to keep the foot down because you don't want the venom to travel. But yes, indeed, he did get over it with her herbal and, you know, all of her skills of healing him. However, he was traumatized by it. Right. And again, it's kind of that strike in the moment of safety thing. He's being a little boy, running around, having a good time. You know, when all the adults are having a good time, and suddenly he's been bitten by a snake. And so he was, you know, starting to, like, get tight about being outside. And I talked to him by phone, and I told him that he had been chosen by the snakes to be part of their their clan. Nice. (laughs) And that he needed to spend a night out alone and to invoke the snakes and to tell them that he accepted, if he did, their invitation. And that if he didn't, he was to tell the snakes that he was apologizing, but he did not wish to accept their invitation. And he and I are still in touch. His mother and I are no longer in touch, but he and I are still in touch. Hmm. Because he was able to, even at eight years old, grasp such power from changing his story. Right. The thing about writing when it comes to trauma is it doesn't really matter what we write. Now, I gave you a specific incident about actually like rewriting, you know, what one might think of as the story of what happened. And uh, Gene Houston did that to me. Um, we all have, you know, a greater or fewer number of victim stories that we can kind of 
haul out and get other people to go, oh, woo, 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 take care of you, woo, woo. And my best, right, my best victim story is that I was bitten by a dog in the head requiring over 30 stitches when I didn't yet know how to walk. I was about nine or ten months old. And I was trying the story out on a newfound friend at a program that Jean Houston was doing, and she walked past as I did that, and she kind of stopped in her tracks and took a few steps back, and she looked at me, and she said, have I ever told you what a victim story that is? She said, let me think. Oh, yes, Artemis is your goddess. Okay, Artemis sent her hound to claim you when you were a babe. Try that on for size, and off she went. Wow, I like that. Right? Right. I'm, of course, shaking my fist at her and going, you bitch, how dare you take away my... Oh, am I allowed to say that on radio? (laughs) You you actually know that you are. This is rated um, everybody (laughs) and adults, so you actually are, I think. But we don't cuss much here anyway, so it's okay. All right, sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. Girl. No, it's Uh, it's a female dog. (laughs) Exactly, it's girl thing. (laughs) Uh, and she was taking away my victimhood, so of course I had to be upset. But what they say, what they're finding in post-traumatic growth, is that people who write, whether they write about the trauma or not, the writing itself helps them to grow. And I think about sometimes Jean would assign us to do something, and there would be people who would say, "I can't do that, Jean. I can't do that." And she would say, you can do it while you're doing something you know how to do. So if we had to write a poem, this person knew how to play the piano, they would play the piano and let the poem come to them while they were playing the piano. Right. I've done that noodle on the guitar and then had some words come to me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so there's something about the writing, and I would add to it music. Because I think it does the same thing. It moves us along. And that's what has always seemed to me to be the difference between when I've responded with post-traumatic stress and when I've responded with post-traumatic growth is when I've been able to move along, I've gotten the growth, and when I've gotten stuck, then I've gotten the stress. And the writing moves me along, and the music moves me along, and of course, adventure moves one along. And that's adventure, that's travel, that's... um, Taking a risk. And I think about that story that I tell about that little boy and the snake. And I didn't just tell him, oh, you've been invited to be a member of the snake clan, or you are a member of the snake clan. I ask him to do something slightly risky. Spend the night outside alone at eight years old. Hmm. I did the same thing with my daughter. 
I don't remember which birthday it was, but it was one particular birthday. And I said, you're only going to have this birthday once. Spend the night outside in the tent. Really do it. Really claim yourself here. And it snowed. So her birthday's in March. <laughs> but I bet she could tell you which birthday that was, even if I don't remember the number. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it might I, have been more uh, of an event for her than you. <laughs> actually, more of an event for her but <laughs> among her 50 birthdays, that one. I am sure to that because she took a risk. And I think especially after there's been a trauma it's like our risk-taking facility can easily atrophy. And we can think, oh, I'm just going to be safe now. Mm-hmm. I call this the, um, the red-headed mistake. <laughs> I had an apprentice who was a redhead, very blazing red hair. Right. And she she turned out to be a little bit crazy. We we went out to do a ritual, and I had a box of matches, and they, they were strike-anywhere matches. And because I didn't want to put a match down in, in the forest, I put, after I lit the match and lit the smudge, I blew out the match, or so I thought, and put it in the box of matches. But I hadn't really blown it out, which you can sometimes do in daylight because you can't really see it. And the whole box right. of matches went up flames, right? And right. so she decided she decided that I was Satan. Because of that matchbox mistake. <clears throat> Correct. So I was Satan and she proceeded to like try to exercise me. Hmm. And so the redheaded mistake would be to say, No more redheads. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are nice people. No, I'm just kidding, I'm playing. <laughs> but, right, exactly. But I know what you mean. <laughs> right. When something to make a quick judgment. <laughs> dramatic, like being mistaken for Satan happens. Right. right. We tend to think, I'm just going to shut the door and not let any more of that in. And that contraction is what is stressful. And so if we can find a way to be willing to take a risk, to have some adventure, one of the women who had had an incredibly traumatic thing happen decided she was going to learn to paraglide. Like, oh, <laughs> sure, just throw yourself off a cliff in this little harness. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> right, but for her, it was like she really needed to do these things to convince herself that, not only was life worth living, but it was worth taking risks. Right. There was um, a general, I'll say this very shortly, uh, Colonel David Hackworth. He was one of the most decorated living soldiers. And I was honored in a way because um, he liked one of my songs <laughs> on a radio show that he was on. And what was interesting about David is that he gave all of his medals away because he felt like he was this very decorated Vietnam soldier, but he uh, felt like eventually that the war was a lie. And so he, I'm not trying to get too political. I was just saying this story. 
And then he literally gave it away to a bunch of kids in Australia. He gave away all of his medals, all of his decorations, because he felt like he'd... But he did write a book later. You can look him up. His name is Colonel Dave, David Hackworth. And he said, um, well, I um, I fought so hard for so many years. And then because I was young, he joined the military like at 15, like he was too young to join, but he joined, like all that kind of stuff that happened back in the day. And he was just, he got disheartened, and then he moved away, and he went to Australia, and he traveled, he smoked a little weed, whatever, and he became, like, a little more enlightened, and he was like, oh, my God, all that stuff I did was, like, kind of, like, for a false operation. And uh, my whole point was he had this major epiphany about the damage in his life without the political side even being there. It was a major revelation because he had felt so damaged. And um, like you were saying, you know, that, that, that notion of, you know, people don't know what people go through seeing all those horrible things and, uh, and I think he has passed on since, but he mm. was big in reporting stuff like the Gulf War syndrome and stuff like that. He was an interesting guy, interesting character. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, I'm sorry if I sidetracked too much. Oh, no, that's a very, very interesting. And then exercise. Yeah. There were some women who having experienced trauma, found that what really brought them back was running, marathons, you know, swimming, but not just, you know, not just going to the gym once or twice. We mean like serious, like really doing it, heavy-duty workout training, doing things. And again, I think how interesting for me... One of the difficulties of trauma is that it can go into a place in my brain that's on an endless loop. And it just, my brain just keeps kicking up devastating images. And, yeah, well, if you've gone through a trauma, you have the images, the images come to you. Yeah. They come okay. back okay. to the smell, the sound. That's what the post-traumatic stress is, is that something will trigger that, and you are back in that experiencing it because your brain is in this loop, and it brings, you know, your heartbeat up, and you're like, rah, 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 you know, and you're on alert. And you're, rah. Yeah. So to when one exercises at the level these women were are exercising you can't think your brain can't do that you get to the point where all you can do is focus on picking your foot up and putting it down again right it's the beauty of that stuff <laughs> Right. Remember the Tuesday five weeks ago when I was out hiking nine and a half hours? Mm-hmm. We were definitely at that place where all we were doing was saying, this foot up, now it goes down. This foot up, now it goes down. And there was nothing else the mind. <laughs> our minds, nor could there be anything else on our mind. The present moment was so exhausting that it took our full attention. 
<laughs> no time for lecture there. <laughs> right. And so, you know, even when the present moment is the the, stra- the trauma, <laughs> that exercise can move us through it. So, again, it's moving my trauma this year of my barn burning down. Um, yeah. I needed to walk. So I instituted a walking program every morning that the apprentices and everybody here, that's it. We no longer sit for Talking Stick. We are out and we are walking for Talking Stick because I needed to walk off that trauma. I understand completely. And, hey, now we just walk in the mornings because it's a good idea. So that's post-traumatic growth. That what you do to move yourself through the post-traumatic stress becomes your growth because you choose something that gives you greater health. I was reading an interview with, I don't remember who, some person, and she said that she got a bulldog and she has become that woman that she has always sneered at. The woman who must have her dog with her. All the time. She says, says, love this dog so much, I cannot be separated from this dog. (laughs) I want this dog with me all the time, as close as possible. She said, I am the woman I made fun of. And, And these kinds of relationships with animals are the kinds of relationships that people who have gone through trauma have found to be very supportive. And, you know, we're talking about really big major trauma here and post-traumatic stress and bombs going up and, you know, horrible things happening. But just a small step down from that are the trauma of living with a disability. Right. Because you might not be able to pay. Well, let's face it, folks. If you're disabled, I know a guy like this. He's absolutely brilliant and broke. He's a natural medicine guy. But his back is hurt so bad that, like, because he was in a terrible uh, chemical accident from his old job. And it was an explosion, and he just... He's just hurt so bad that he can barely go to work. He can sometimes. He shows up at he works at the health food store part time. Luckily for him, he has some guardian angels, but they're they're not unlimited. If you know what I mean, you know he has some friends and they put him up cheap, and he can say they're cheap, but it's not free. You know, and so he, it's it's just um, I just I hate to see that. I hate to see brilliant people that are put brilliant and talented people disabled and put into a position where, you know, they could be homeless next week. I just, that upsets me, you know, uh, very much. Animals and the connection with specific animals can be the real lifeline through this for that everyday stress, traumatic stress of dealing with a disability, whether the disability came about through a trauma through a genetic malfunction, whatever it is, it is certainly not the the stress of war and terror and um, that. Only one. But it 
nonetheless a very significant stress. And animals, too, certainly have helped people um, through the larger stressors as well. But I, I think of the animal connection as being for that kind of, you know, just grinding traumatic stress so that it so that we can find a way for that too to be traumatic growth because we're talking about our our psyche we're talking about our inner world we're talking about our ability um to tell our story in a way that's meaningful to us and others which we have been doing so well that we have once again run out of time I realize that. <laughs> I, I let it go over a little bit. I apologize. <laughs> but no problem at all. been fascinating. Thank you so much for adding to the conversation tonight. So, folks, look it up, right? What comes out of the ashes is a deeper sense of meaning and mission, says Anna Berardi, director of the Trauma Response Institute at George Fox University. James Rendon, author of the just-published Upside, the new science of post-traumatic growth, says growth can be driven by pain and distress. All right. All right. The lesson. Green blessings until next year. See you the first Tuesday in January. Yes, first Tuesday in January. First Tuesday in January. And have fun, and hopefully I think it will be a great learning experience and everything for you and for all those around you which would be natural anyway. <laughs> I think, okay. is that where you broke your wrist the last time? Where did you well, break I'm your wrist? I'm not going to Costa Rica. My my family is going to Costa Rica. I'm going uh, to Costa Rica in January. Okay. So we, okay. I think we'll miss one show in January, but we don't need to talk about that now. No, 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 we don't want to talk about it. Okay, no. I no, no, we'll you. get together at the beginning of January, and then as that one comes up, I'll let you know about it. All is well. I'm going to be Thank in you. Italy, too, so I'm going to miss one in March as well. No problem. Absolutely no problem. Okay. All right. And uh, so great to have you here. I learned so much. I learned so much. It's so great to be on the air with Susan Weed and learn things. What fun. Happy holidays, everybody, whether you're lighting handles or singing Christmas carols or whatever you are doing. Enjoy the holiday spirit and have a happy new year. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Medicine is people's medicine. And as Susan said, we are at the beginning of Hanukkah, this festival of lights, lighting something up and people light up the trees. So then you have the the pagan aspect, and you have the Christian aspect of Christ. So it's a multifaceted uh, time. <laughs> uh, but have a good evening, everyone, and I wish you the best on whichever aspect of that. Green blessings. Have a great evening. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Blessed are we in the awakening dawn. Blessed are we in the morning. Blessed are we. 
dark of the night as we slip into dreams that are calling. Blessed are we in the awakening. Blessed are we in the Love. 